MP, it's our final event of the year. Oh, it's all a bit sad, Bretto, but after four big events for 2018, we are going out with a bang with one more wellness base camp, and the location for this one is regional Victoria, the great town of Bendigo awaits. Oh, and how's this for a lineup, MP? Bendigo will be rocking with the rock star of wellness, Damien Christoph. The art of self-love angel herself, Kim Morrison, hits the stage. As will the natural nutritionist, Steph Lowe. And I'll tell you what, Steph's presentation at the summit on fasting was a showstopper. You'll be there, Bretto. I'll be there too. And Wendy Stewart from Wendy's Way will be there to share her inspirational story, which really did go off at the Wellness Summit earlier this year. It's Saturday, October 27 at the beautiful All Seasons Resort Hotel in Bendigo and tickets are selling fast. Two for one tickets for this one day of inspiration, information and empowerment are available at thewellnessbasecamp.com. That's right, folks. Get your two-for-one tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com before they run out and then the price goes up. Finish your year of wellness in style at The Wellness Base Camp in Bendigo, Saturday, October 27. Tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hey there, wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week on Wellness from Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we're going to have a bit of uh, a fun chat today about something that uh, I think both of us have actually seen coming across like Facebook feeds and popping up in weird like sidelines. I think it must be the strange searches we do. There must be cookies that are tracing us. (laughs) I know, how weird is that? When we search up medical terms and all of a sudden we start getting spammed with all these things and you're like, wow, is it really common or is it just that they're, you know, figuring out we're looking for something and they start uh, sending us articles and emails and connect points, which anyway, we are talking today, ladies, about designer vaginas. <laughs> okay. Ooh, that's such a good way to put it. Yeah. Look, if you're sitting there going, what on earth are they talking about? Um, don't be too surprised because it is something that is um, trending. You might be hearing it under the terms of vaginoplasty, labiaplasty. You could be hearing even something called, and I'm putting little, you know, inverted commas here, revergination procedures, collegial oh unhooding, G-spot amplification. There's O-shots. There's all these things happening. And uh, to be honest, I just want to know what on earth they were talking about. So I had to uh, dive into researching this. So yeah, today we're going to talk about all things uh, cosmetic enhancement of the vagina, um, surgical, non-surgical approaches, and kind of the reason like why, why would women do this? And why is it so, oh, I hate to you know, say it, but trending at this moment, what's, um, what's this, yeah, what's this tide of interest? all about so andrea what mm. uh, what have you been learning about uh yeah the design of vagina phenomena <laughs> um, it is so fascinating and also i think it's it's a bit scary and i'm pretty troubled by what's happening as well and all of the information and the advertising that i see about you know labiaplasty or vaginal rejuvenation seems to all be coming from male plastic surgeons as well uh so advertising to women who might be um you know very vulnerable and are only seeing certain types of 
of, you know, what would look like the, in inverted commas, like, you know, the perfect vagina. So to vulnerable women saying that it's such a quick, easy process and you'll be so happy with the results and blah, blah, blah. But can I just preface this by saying that vaginas are an incredibly complicated piece of anatomy. Um, and despite what most people get exposed to in, say, pornography or, you know, even anatomy classes, they're actually very dramatically in shape, in size, in length, in even in width and color and texture. So there is absolutely no consensus, um, and medically speaking, there is no consensus to what a normal vulva looks like. Um, and the most obvious variation with women um, or, or between women is the labia. So, or differences in the labia and what that looks like. So the labia is the folds of skin um, on the outside of the vaginal opening. And I think that this is based on the fact that most, I guess, body lessons that we get are actually from, you know, doing internet searches or from pornography. Like, let's be honest, um, I don't think that sexual health classes at high school are very... Um, I don't know, appropriate at teaching what real anatomy actually resembles. So, you know, hence why teenagers go in search of, you know, looking at all sorts of different things. And there is a big rise in this, uh, like, phenomena of wanting to get this labiaplasty. Maybe if we focus on that to start with, Ash, particularly in teenage girls, which is horrific. Yeah, so where, where do you, I guess I always ask the question, where do we think this is coming from? And it's even for older women too. I certainly know that um, your body changes in time and as someone who's given birth to a child, uh, yeah, look, things downstairs are slightly different to what they were before. Not mm -hmm. better, not worse, just different. And I think that's almost like an evolution of your body, kind of learning to be a different person in your actual physical self as well and learning to love that that change and we're kind of stuck in this uh, time where we all want to put a, a hold on our 18-year-old selves, um, you know, with our bodies and everything and we're almost trying to reverse the clock constantly, you know, with everything when it comes to the body. It could be simple things like anti-wrinkle treatments. It could be um, mm -hmm. rejuvenation procedures on the face and hence the reason this whole idea of vaginal rejuvenation has come about because it's like, well, if it's good enough to do the face, why don't you do it downstairs as well? Um, so I think, you know, it stems from a, a constant uh, probably dissatisfaction with ourselves um, and that usually comes from a comparison to something else or someone else. And, you know, as you mentioned, why, why teens interested in this, I dare to think there could be a little bit of um, probably self confidence issues there and also comparisons to these potentially, I guess, pornographic images that women have seen or just yeah. even photographic images. There's plenty of artistic photography of the vagina, um, which sometimes can highlight the perfection of it. And if yours doesn't look as perfect as that, you might feel as though something's wrong with you. So, um, yeah, and I definitely think there's a lot to do with the men side of it as well um, in the sense that if guys are only exposed to these um, idealistic images of women, uh, then anything other than that is different and potentially they could express that to their partner as well, which naturally is going to knock self-confidence around. Uh, we just can't help it. It's very hard to kind of with a, yeah, with youth, we, we can 
have trouble accepting whole self. Often as we get older, we start to become better. And then we sometimes can get a few things that knock our confidence again. It could be a breakup in relationships. It could be, you know, a girlfriend's comment. It could be, it could be any number of different things that knock our confidence around and get us, I guess, putting us back into that vulnerable space. Like you mentioned that this advertising is specifically targeted towards women in a vulnerable space. And it's not just advertising. So this is something that I've learned that I just uh, is mind boggling for me. I was lost for words when I learned this, but actually in Australia, it is illegal. So it's actually illegal to display a vagina that doesn't meet this perfect standard of looking neat and tidy. What? So to the point where, you know, whatever it might be, like, you know, advertising, pornography, magazines, anywhere that these images or pictures of vaginas are displayed, they must be photoshopped. So that is someone's job to Photoshop these images to comply with certain standards. And this is actually in accordance to the guidelines for, for classification of publication. So oh. this is Australian authority that essentially means that showing a woman's vagina that is not airbrushed is too rude. So penises do not fall within that same scrutiny. But it is actually currently still illegal in Australia to show that, which is probably why there is such a drive behind this massive increase in labioplastic surgeries, particularly in Australia. So, so much more here than in other developed worlds as well. Um, And I just, it it blows my mind that you think that somewhere so progressive like where we live uh, and there's, it is illegal to show what a, a normal vagina would look like. That is incredible. And so I guess the question would be, what would a woman be dissatisfied if it's not considered a normal vagina in terms of Photoshopping? And I think, ladies, um, the simplest answer there is probably more to do with enlarged labia. So, you know, like the larger skin fold, the loose, probably projecting skin fold beyond the like level of the vagina. Um, and this is where women can feel a bit self-conscious because it's almost like there's sort of flappy flap lips there, which, you know, if we're told that everything's meant to be primp and tight and proper, then that seems abnormal. And uh, that's something that you may feel the need to change. Now, is it a good idea to go cutting around and laser trimming and doing all these things to the labia because we know they're delicate parts of our anatomy. They're highly vascular. They've got lots of sensory neurons there as well. Um, what, What did you find about this one? Well, you know what? I've actually had quite a few patients who've had either labiaplasty or vaginoplasty. Um, Now, the labiaplasty, let's just qualify that. That is actually the cutting or trimming of the the labia minora. Um, So to make it look, you know, more neat and tidy, I guess, in accordance with those pornography pictures. Um, And I have not had one report of a person who's been satisfied with the procedure. So whether or not it's because there was a lot of more deeper psychological issues there that needed to be addressed that weren't, as that might go with any type of cosmetic surgery as well, Uh, but there were some distressing physical symptoms that they were exposed to afterwards as well. So um, one of my patients, uh, it took her over 12 months to regain any kind of sensation in her external vaginal area, which dramatically uh, impacted her sexual function. Um, I've had patients who've had infections from this as well, and these risks are real. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly the rates of the risks 
from um, you know labiaplasty, but they are real risks. So, and these include things like infection, scarring, the poor sexual function. Uh, so, complete change in sensation as well, because this is a very highly innovated area, very highly vascularized area, because you know it's part of our our pleasure centers. Um, there's also an increased risk of uh, perineal tearing during vaginal delivery. And most times the labiaplasty is actually done before childbirth as well. Um, so, you know, obviously when things completely change during delivery, there's an increased risk of tearing through there. There's also one of the biggest risks is called wound dehiscence, and that's essentially where the wound splits open um, just because of the nature of the tissue itself. Interesting. And they've also, I know that uh, for most surgical wounds as well, if you're someone that's more inclined towards things like keloid scarring, then of course, naturally any surgical procedure can potentially cause more complicated factors. So it's certainly, I'm sure that any woman who's had this done has gone into it with, a, I would assume, a high degree of research, just simply because we know it's such a vital area of our body. Um and it's well actually you would think that you would think that um but the fact is that girls who are seeking this procedure and i say girls i use that term because there was some research that was done from the university of melbourne by a specific researcher her name was emma bernard uh and girls as young as 11 were seeking cosmetic surgery for their genitals, including labiaplasty. Um, And the median age, so this means the middle age for girls referred to this hospital that was examined for this study, um, for, you know, these type of operations between 2000 and 2012, their median age was 14 and a half years old. Oh, wow. Okay, um, so I, I guess we can see this is a really big cross-section of women in terms of age and demographics and um, ex- life experience and knowledge and sexual understanding of themselves and their body. Um, that's that's really interesting. So, ladies, I guess if this is something that you've, you've had this procedure yourself, let's just say you're highly satisfied with it, we would love to hear from you. I know we're sort of cutting in that question in the middle of the show, but it's just something I guess I'm really interested in to see what your experiences were, what your expectations of the outcomes and you know what you've noticed since then because like anything there's masses of um uncertainties with any procedure however some people will rave it as the next best thing which is probably where a lot of the momentum has come from this uh online sort of promotion and then Mm -hmm. of course there's a lot of risks and a lot of women who are left with um high dissatisfaction as well so there's not an easier way for us to say this is absolutely wrong or this is absolutely a great thing it's simply just saying this is all about informed choice making um and if it sounds like something you're willing to take a a risk on and understand i guess the appropriate uh risk costs and potential side effects then it's certainly something that you can consider but I think the more I've read about it, the more I've realized that most of these these procedures, particularly with female genitals, are very much not backed by science. Um, Well, exactly. Very much, um, I guess, what you'd call uh, progressive. They're they're kind of procedures that are often trademarked. Um, They're propriety procedures. They're a little bit secretive and the real sort of data and studies outcomes are quite elusive to find. Um, They're only done by the actual um, 
medical professionals running the test. So it's almost like that, mm-hmm. you know, is it a, a genuine source of data or potentially could have been misleading in some way because it's not an independent study? Um, There's a massive conflict of interest there, I think. Yeah, interesting. So we sort of got fascinated in this because I also look at just from the background going, why don't we feel perfect? You know, why do we feel, <laughs> you know, that we're not good enough to have to to do this uh, to our wonderful, amazing bodies? And I think I've had time to reflect on some of these things uh, since Oliver's birth as well, because suddenly my boobs have changed, you know, suddenly my, <laughs> my vagina's changed because I've given birth vaginally. Like you suddenly have to accept certain changes um, and it's taken a little bit of time to particularly things like the breast changes. I'm just like, really? I really liked my boobs before, <laughs> you know, and I'm having to sort of fall in love with them again for different reasons. Um, and the satisfaction that I gain from looking at them now is that, wow, these amazing, you know, boobs have fed a child and, and, you know, guided him through his first, you know, form of nourishment. What an extraordinary thing. And I think I'm sort of finding that same reflection on my genitals as well saying, well, goodness me, <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 a baby came into this world and that's, you know, a, a byproduct of that. Um, I certainly can understand women are having issues with incontinence or dissatisfaction with sex, changes in sexual function, um, you know, sensation. That, that's certainly something I can understand and relate to. I certainly was concerned, you know, even six months post-birth, would I get things back to the way they were? Will I get that sensation back, you know, with that relationship with my husband? Will sure. I stop feeling, you know, that urge to pee when I've already done a million kegels and exercises? Um, and yeah. truth was time was the answer there. Um, it didn't happen instantly, but over time that tissue did return to what I would call a degree of normal. So sometimes I think we kind of rush into procedures and then other times we – kind of wait too long so what would you say to women andrea who's saying yeah but my body doesn't feel like i want it to and you know i am wholeheartedly supportive of whatever choices women make in terms of their own their own body you know we're not talking about um genital circumcision or anything like that um, so if this is the choices they're making, I'm fully supportive of this. I'm so concerned about young girls mm-hmm. thinking that they're abnormal because yes. like why that there is a cosmetic procedure for something that's perfectly healthy and perfectly normal in the first place just blows my mind. Um, and I think that that is comes back to the way that we educate our girls. And also when I was talking about the, the median age of those girls that were wanting or that were actually going under the knife for labiaplasty, a quarter of those girls – were brought there because their mothers were concerned about their appearance. So this is a multi-generational thing. So the, the mothers were not given the right information. They were misinformed that, you know, things are perfectly normal irrespective of the way it looks externally because there is absolutely no normal um, consensus of what a vulva or a vagina in itself should actually look like. And, the increase in labiaplasty has absolutely nothing to do with an increase in, say, pathological processes or any proven changes in labia size over time. So it's more about the media influence or possibly, um, you know, like some myth about what what things are supposed to be like. So anyway, I, I've digressed there, but what I would say to women if they do actually want to have this procedure done, I would certainly get them to question it and if there was sound medical reasons, for example, if, 
you know, they were having um, urinary problems or they were getting chronic urinary tract infections because of, you know, larger um, labias that were causing irritation or there was hygienic issues or it was interfering with sporting activities or something like that, I would absolutely wholeheartedly support that. Um, but I, I still think that the procedure is too new. New. We don't have any long-term um, sort of studies that show what the long-term risks might be. Um, and even in Australia, the the medical board has recommended that women be seen by, say, a psychologist before actually going ahead with the surgery, and they've recommended that that psychologist be someone who is external to the actual um, or, you know, is unaffiliated or not financially benefiting from the actual plastic, plastic surgical um, procedure in the first place. And they've also recommended that there should be a three-month cooling-off process. So you essentially schedule the appointment, you have your evaluation, and you have to wait three months before the Actual surgical intervention itself, um, but these are just recommendations. These are certainly not enforced, um, which I think you know would be a very good thing, and I think might you know change some things a little bit. Uh, there was um, some uh, regulations that came in uh, from the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, where if patients come to them, so if they come to their GP and say that they want to have, you know, labiaplasty, that these women must be shown realistic pictures of anatomy before referring them to a specialist for that. And this has actually decreased the surgical uptake of that by 28%. Oh, fantastic. So realising so, that uh, normal is diverse and there's any number yes. of sort of shapes, sizes, forms that the vagina comes in can help to change, yeah, change the impression of whether you think yours is normal or not and like we've said time again through this episode already is there's no such thing as normal exactly <laughs> um, you know exactly. we all come in all different shapes and sizes i guess that's you know like the human face too isn't it like nose eyes hair like everything is a variety there's no perfection the image is not uh, you know a perfection quest so um ladies i think the key there is obviously comes down to a lot of um probably mindset stuff you know around this concept of you know who you are and, you know, loving yourself in its entirety and it's all its, you know, perfections and imperfections that make you, you know, exactly who you are. But, of course, if it's something that's causing you problems and, and concerns, then no doubt you've already probably started to Google some of these terms and you'll be making up your own mind uh, along the way. I was really fascinated in some of the, um, I would say, extreme claims of some of the things like the Femilift and the O-Shot procedures because they were talking about improved sexual function and improved, you know, urinary continence. And I'm like, wow. And really what they're doing is like laser resurfacing like you would on a face. Um, yeah. to- <laughs> and this is for vaginal plasty, yeah? yeah, for like vaginal rejuvenation. Vaginal rejuvenation, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, of course, this is the, what they call a non-surgical procedure um, to tighten the vagina. Obviously, yep. there's surgical procedures, which is where they actually resect um, part of the vaginal wall. So they cut a slice out of the vaginal wall and then uh, tie it together again. So obviously, by taking a chunk of tissue out, you're going to narrow that vaginal canal, um, which for me just sounded incredibly extreme um, and incredibly high risk, uh, which, you know, I'm assuming there'd be some very 
grave reasons why you'd want to do such a procedure. Um, but the non-surgical ones are the ones that have taken traction. These have got the Hollywood factor to them yeah. um, because they're done in, in cosmetic surgeon practices. Uh, they've given big fancy advertisements and lots of satisfied smiles. And it's like, okay, so this has got the, you know, the, the golden tick of approval from Hollywood does that make it a good thing or not? And uh, I think, you know, I really particularly loved a bit of a, an overview that was given by a doctor who's quite critical of female procedures. Uh, she's someone who obviously, you know, does her work and questions the need for um, pre- interventions when there's no good reason for them at times. And this is a, a lady by the name of Dr. Jen Gunter. And she you knows she was talking about, does the O-shot actually give you insanely good orgasms? That's claims to. Um, and I guess, you know, the long story short, she was quite critical of the science behind it because it's, you know, a trademarked mm-hmm. procedure. Um, essentially what it involves is taking your own blood, um, spinning it out, taking out, uh, you know, platelets. Basically it's called platelet enriched plasma uh, or PRP, platelet-rich plasma, and putting it back into the body. So it's like, well, hang on, it's taking my own cells and putting it back into me. That must be safe. And she's got a really interesting position on this in saying, well, just as much as we can tout the benefits, shouldn't we also consider the potential risks for the same reasons. And she was talking about how, you know, therapists can all sound very good on paper because there's not enough science behind this yet to confirm whether or not it's a valid procedure. Um, but could it also have a counter thing? Like could those concentrated clotting factors actually call, cause an increased risk of blood clots just as they can yes, cause increased certainly. cellular regeneration? Could they actually increase the risk of clots? Could it lead to unregulated tissue or blood vessel growth causing precancerous cells to become cancer? Could it trigger harmful inflammatory responses? Um, and she said, look, it's so interesting because all of these are th- as theoretically plausible as the benefits are. And that makes, you know, perfect sense. And there may be, you know, sound medical reasons for, uh, you know, vaginal surgery. Um, and that might be, say, to correct obstetric trauma, for example. Um, but, Uh, Some of the leading gynecologists have actually recommended against, you know, so-called vaginal rejuvenation procedures because they deem them as completely unnecessary. And given the increased risks for scarring, for pain, um, as well as, you know, complete changes in sensation as well, what they recommend is that women exhaust all of their non-surgical approaches first. So this is things like what you said, Ash, like your Kegel exercises, your pelvic floor exercises, maybe seeing pelvic floor specialists, all of those sorts of things before going down the route of surgical options. Um, And we know that these are, you know, well evidence-based as well, but also under the influence of certain hormonal changes, the vagina and the external genitalia are supposed to change as we age. You know, this is a very normal aging process, just like our face loses some of that collagen. So too, you know, does our external genitalia as well. So for example, you know, during menopause, the skin of the vulva shrinks the outer lips or the the labia menorah can become less plump, can become a little bit more, I guess, pendulous. Um, And all sorts of other things can change or shrink and, 
you know, all sorts of things can happen. And even the vaginal tissue itself can become thinner and less plump as well. This is what we might call atrophy. But this can also similarly happen from just from long-term use of the contraceptive pill or shorter use of, um, you know, even some of the low-dose low pills as well. So, ladies, if you are on some kind of hormonal contraceptive and you have noticed physical changes to your vagina itself, this could be something that's, you know, obviously something to consider. Mm, Mm. Amazing. And if you are someone who's pregnant or has just given birth, don't freak out that she looks different downstairs. I remember part of the way through my pregnancy, I was like, oh my God, she's changing color. (laughs) Yeah. Don't look. And particularly after birth, at least a good six weeks, just don't look. Oh my goodness. That's like the number one piece of advice I give to all women, like postpartum, no matter what, just don't look. You don't need to. Yeah. She's going to be fine. Um, Yeah. Of course, you know, as you mentioned as well about the exhausting, the other aspects first certainly we recommend you seek out the guidance and expertise of a you know a highly qualified women's health physiotherapist there are some incredible ones out there we're really lucky here in Perth where we are where there's some really you know reputable practitioners we can refer our clients to um, who are specialized specifically on the internal vaginal problems that women can have, which is fantastic because uh, it's very much a taboo issue. It's very hard for women to seek help and assistance and support for this. And, you know, unless you're really kind of confident with the male therapists or the male um, professionals you see, which there's plenty of amazing ones out there, you know, women to women, sometimes it's just that much easier to break down the barrier when you're talking to another woman who understands or who has experienced it. So, you know, if you're just finding you're, you're not comfortable talking about this, um, always seek, you know, the, I guess, connection with another practitioner who could possibly guide you in the right direction and make mm-hmm. you, I guess, more open to the different ways in which we can view the body. And I think this is really what this was talking about today was really just to start to help you understand that we are all very different and there is no perfect image. But if it is affecting your life in some way, if it's affecting your sex life, if it's affecting your self-confidence, if it's affecting how you feel about your body, you know, or it's actually affecting quality of life in some way, then absolutely seek more guidance, absolutely do your homework and learn more Mm -hmm. about this um, because there are certainly some procedures that may help. And we say may because there's not a lot of good research and science behind them so you'll find that it's very hit and miss reviews on them you'll find plenty of probably doctored reviews as well so be very and i mean that in um like a a censored kind of way that we know as well that reviews can actually be altered by certain Mm -hmm. sites which means that they can cut out the good bits and extract the negative comments or the it was great buts or the um it was great but, you know, also know that. Um, so just be aware, not all of the reviews you might read are actually in their true form, the way in which someone wrote them. They can actually alter the storyline a bit. So um, that's another another issue is that a lot of the choices we make, sometimes we – I know I'm guilty of it with products, for example. Like if I'm looking for the latest, greatest organic face cream, I'll start looking on sites that maybe have reviews for that. And then I mm-hmm. sometimes have to self-check and go, hang on, they can doctor these review sites. So, um, you know, I need to make an informed choice, yeah. but I'm not going to rely on the um, comments of others to, to make that choice, particularly when we start talking about more important things than face cream. 
Yeah, exactly. And look, to any of the mothers who are tuning in who might be, you know, worried about your teenage daughters or you just want to make sure that you are, uh, I guess, across this as much as physically possible, there are some really beautiful movements in helping girls and women just to, I guess, experience a little bit more realistic normalcy. And so there's some sites. So in particular, the Labia Library. Um, so I think their website is thelabialibrary.org.au. So it's an Australian movement where essentially women can anonymously um, submit pictures of their external genitalia. And, it, you know, they're not doctored, they're not airbrushed, they're displayed almost like art on this page. And you can see that they vary so dramatically. There's also the Volvo Project or the Labia Project, and I think that this is just information that women, particularly teenage girls and young girls, should be given just so that they know that things are not supposed to look so um, doctored and so, you know, photoshopped and that if they if they do get teased or if there is any, you know, self-confidence issues that come along with this, then maybe there is some, you know, greater psychological issues at play and maybe some sort of permanent um, surgical procedure is not uh, the fix for this. So I think the, the point that we really wanted to make with this episode was purely just to raise a conversation of something that's really trending. Also, to give you the understanding that there is absolutely no such thing as a normal vulva with a normal appearance. There's absolutely no such thing as that. They are supposed to vary in shape and size and contour and everything else. And that we really want this information given to young girls, now teenage girls, so that no matter what, they love the body that they have. Uh, because, you know, what is more important than that? Love that. And if we can stop uh, taking all the trends from social media and like this all came about with that Hollywood uh, designer vagina kind of uh, <laughs> inspiration, then we'll start to realise that so much of that stuff is just fake anyway. So, you know, what, totally. are, we, what are we aspiring to? Um, ladies, it's always a great gift to share this time with you. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. Um, we really look forward to talking to you next week. So, ladies, we would love to hear from you. What are your thoughts about this idea of the designer vagina? Can you please uh, communicate with us on Facebook? So, facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Women. We're on Instagram at The Wellness Women Official. Uh, I know that this is probably a little bit of a taboo subject, but if you're brave enough to give us your insights or maybe just what you think of this movement, um, we would love to hear from you. Uh, ladies, until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.